welcome to the Lee Show. I'm here with a uh, spectacular guest. Fascinating, interesting. I'm setting the bar very high uh, so that she will certainly disappoint you. That's always the goal is set <laughs> set expectations high and then disappoint. Um, Rebecca Panapinto. Rebecca, you want to um, tell us about yourself quickly? Not yes. don't We don't want to hear that much about you. No, you're good. Um, yeah, I typically keep it to three things. I'm a technology consultant working for Zoom. I run obstacle course races on the weekends, and I'm a part-time rock star playing drums every once in a while when I get really bored. So in other words, what you're saying is uh, you're not Jewish. That's, <laughs> I'm not yeah. Jewish, and I'm very intense. <laughs> right. I, I mean, that's that's when someone says they do obstacle course races, like tell me you're not Jewish without telling me you're not Jewish. Uh, so that's what, what, are, what are obstacle course races? Like what are, what are the obstacles like? Oh, it's amazing. So I'm pretty committed to the Spartan brand and their vision is to be basically in the Olympics. So everything is super regulated now and they're most famous for the rope climb, the spear throw and the fire jump. Do you have calluses on your hands? Oh, absolutely. And do bruises you, and bumps and Do you wear gloves when you do it or you just go bareback and you go for the calluses? I used to wear gloves and then I felt pretty much like a pansy. <laughs> really? I I wear gloves when I work out at the gym. I wear those weightlifting gloves. Um okay. I don't like having calluses on my hands. I like having delicate and beautiful hands. Uh, I have these like lotion my fingers. Day? I do put lotion. It, it rubs the lotion on its skin. Um, I uh, I have these long, delicate fingers that I think belong in an El Greco painting, or maybe like there's <laughs> there's that Da Vinci painting, Saint John the Baptist, that's in the Louvre. And um, if you look at it, he's he's doing this thing where he's like pointing upwards to God. And I think that's what my fingers look like, and so I wear gloves when I work out. But the thing is, um, they smell, they smell terrible. Oh, I can only imagine. So I used to work out with a trainer and you know, you can imagine you're like on a bench press and there's someone spotting you. And every time your hands go up, they're like right near his face. And he was just like, Oh man, like what, can you just wash those? But it doesn't matter. Like you stick them in the wash and they still, they still smell terrible. That's um, funny. Does, doesn't really work. So okay. So you do you do um, these uh, the, these escape from East Germany races, and um, and you climb over the Berlin Wall, and then mm -hmm. uh, you work for Zoom. What 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 does it mean? You're a technology consultant for Zoom. Yeah. So I focus exclusively on the enterprise, which is ten thousand employees plus, and I'm helping them with digital transformation, exclusively focused on basically what that means for unified communications within their org. So helping them figure out how to communicate better by leveraging our meetings platform, our phone platform, chat, basically trying to help people understand like I do that you can completely do every element of your job within the Zoom client. So does Zoom ever show advertisements? We do. We're on um, buses these days. No, not, not, not advertising itself. I mean, like, Oh, are there the ads platform? in Zoom ever? So we just released that uh, six months ago. That if it's two free users, uh -huh. they have an advertisement. Um, but it took ten years, so I'll give Zoom credit for that one. 
you know, I, I've been reading a lot lately about something called homomorphic encryption. Are you familiar at all with homomorphic encryption? Okay, so mm -hmm. I, based on what I know, uh, you heard it here first, I think homomorphic encryption is one of the most important technologies that is emerging right now. It is, uh, mm -hmm. I think, as important as understanding the metaverse and the blockchain. The basic idea is homomorphic encryption means that your data is encrypted but you can still run analytics on the data without having access to it. So as a very simple example would be you uh, imagine you have an Excel sheet that has like a list of 50 numbers in it and you don't want anyone to be able to see all 50 of those numbers, but you want them to be able to figure out what's the sum or the average or the median of those numbers. So you could allow them to run analytics on those numbers without having to show them the actual numbers without having to expose it. And you could imagine in an advertising context that let's say you have some encrypted end-to-end -end encrypted communications, WhatsApp or something, but you want to show people targeted advertisements based on what they're talking about without them feeling like you are seeing what they're talking about. And so the idea is if you used homomorphic encryption to encrypt the data, you could run analytics and figure out, oh, they're talking about, you know, oh, they're really into to, to cars. And then you could show them advertisements for cars without having to actually see that they are talking about cars. And so you could imagine the same thing for Zoom or some other video platform where you're showing targeted advertisements and people are like, but wait, how did you know what I'm talking about? And it's like, no, actually we didn't know because we, you use homomorphic encryption. So I, I can imagine a future where you could, you could imagine for digital identity issues that this would be really important where somebody wants to verify, you want to authenticate, Hey, are you age 21 or higher without having to show them your actual driver's license? There's, all sorts of ways you can imagine this being useful. And so I was thinking about this in the context of advertising and, you know, things where people want to feel privacy. They want to feel like no one is snooping on them, but you still want an opportunity to show this to them. So you've heard it here first, homomorphic encryption. It's a mouthful, uh, but that's that's my, my view, that 2022 is the year of homomorphic encryption. You're going to hear a lot about it. I like it. I did something similar as part of my sales training within Zoom, actually, that was a weird experience that I think probably played into some of that technology. And it was a role play with a bot. And no joke, you get scored by this robot and pass or fail based on if you hit certain marks in their response to whatever goofy question they ask you. And it's supposedly intelligent enough to understand what my dialogue was. So I did a full-on role play with two bots who asked me super generic questions that I answered to. And then they scored me based on my answers and knowledge. They scored me based on like if I gave pricing clearly. I was scored based on whether or not my pace was too fast or slow. It was the craziest thing to see these insights that this technology was making and giving me a pass or fail great on a role play with not a real person. 
I also love role playing. I love role playing <laughs> oh, with robots it. as well. Oh, uh, it's weird. It's never in a sales training context. It's always like just me alone at home, and I'm gonna. I'm like, <laughs> robots, let's go. It's time for the role play. <laughs> they know oh, what it was to weird. do. Uh, and I was pissed by the end of it because like two times they gave me like a crappy score, and I'm like, you don't even understand what I'm saying. You're a robot. And then finally, I figured out the game to get the passing score. And then I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> when I took the GMAT to go to business school, there was an essay section. There's like the the mm -hmm. English section, the math section, and then the essay section. And the essay uh, is so formulaic and it's scored by machine, or at least it was when I applied. That was, I mean, that's 14 or 15 years ago now. But the mm -hmm. the essay was scored by machine. And so um, if you included certain things in your essay, you got a point automatically. Like if you included a question mark, if you included a rhetorical phrase. So no matter what the topic of the essay, you could write, if all heroin users drink water, does water lead to heroin use? And if you included a sentence with that exact structure, you could insert any noun in place of heroin. You, if you could, you could, but, but heroin was always a fun one because it had nothing to do with the essay and you'd still get a point for it. And so you could include that sentence in the essay and you would automatically get a point. And it was like, you could just take advantage of the fact that it was scored by a machine and, and the machine was too stupid and you could outsmart it. But you know, it's it's interesting you say that because I've been thinking a lot lately about artificial intelligence and the concept mm -hmm. of it. You know, there's there's so much stupid press about AI where mm -hmm. people are terrified of it. They're like, it's taking our jobs. And like, I it's, it's not that. I, if anything, I would guess that we're going to have not enough workers and that artificial intelligence is not going to take enough jobs. But also... Mm -hmm. People imagine artificial intelligence is sentience and it's not sentience. It is it is a regression. It's predicting the future through regression, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. when we say artificial intelligence, that's what we're talking about. That that here's the correlation between things in the past. Maybe it's not a strict linear correlation. Maybe there's yeah. lots of things that that need to feed into it. And then use the artificial intelligence to predict what's going to happen next. I mean, it's it's pattern mm -hmm. recognition. That's that's the same shit that's been on still, IQ like, tests for a long time. It's cool. It's yeah. very cool. But it's not – this is not cyborgs running the earth. Like we're not – maybe that will happen at some point. We're not there yet. And when we say artificial intelligence, I think we are very much overstating – what this is it's it's a, a computer that can predict things based on the last based on the last item so uh i i think that's it's always interesting to me how that i i don't know how, how that gets overstated well and you said patterns the reality is those patterns are human patterns it's right where i take my uber it's where i get my food delivered so it's still based on human activity and then predicting it and dissecting it it's not yeah some pie in the sky <laughs> analysis of the future it's based on real events and very much human touch so there's no way it's going to replace us by any means i don't think you know there it's was, just going to accelerate should, should our we capabilities be like chanting like 
the robots will not replace us. <laughs> yeah. Remember, at, um, what I'm was that, that that rally? The one in um, in Virginia where that guy drove over somebody and they were chanting, "The know. Jews will not replace us." And I always thought that was amazing because it's like a bunch of dudes in like Carhartt sweatshirts and they're like, "The Jews will not replace." Them. I'm like, "Brother, they ain't coming for that." Don't worry. We're, we don't want it. We're good. We're not coming for your Carhartt sweatshirts. And, and it's just, it's not happening. Uh, so, I mean, that was, that was always amazing to me. Um, so, uh, you, so you said you do tech consulting, uh, you do these obstacle courses and, uh, what was the third thing that you said? Part-time rock star. You're a part-time rock star. Um, expand. Tell me about being a part-time rock star. I mean, I'm so I'm like a full-time rock star. So, <laughs> what, what what does that mean to you? Well, me too. But um, I literally put on the leather jacket and play the drums when I have time. Um, there's an alter ego that still exists, just has been a little bit more put on the back burner in the probably more recent term, just because of COVID. But play drums for right now a pop and a rock band in the New York city area. But then 10 years in Nashville, I was playing for anybody and everybody, country artists, pop artists, singer songwriters. I was anywhere and everywhere. Somebody wanted me to play drums. So I love it. Do you know who Mandy Bushell is? No. Should I? Mandy Bushell is a 10 year old or 11 year old girl from England. I think and she is a really talented oh, drummer. Oh, the David Grohl. Chick. Yes, exactly. And she yes. challenged Dave Grohl to a uh, uh, like a drum off, and then it turned into a whole thing during COVID. And then she came out on stage with him when he did a show in LA, and I think she played Everlong. Uh, mm. I'm I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. Oh, and, me too. Uh, I think. I mean alternative rock is like always my go-to genre of music and Foo Fighters embody that as well as anybody does. So, um, and if not Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl Nirvana, story. Right? Oh yeah. Tell yeah. me. Yeah. So in Nashville, did you sleep with him? Tell me, tell me <laughs> you slept not, with Dave no. Grohl. Oh man. I couldn't do it. No. That, wow. I, I that's don't like long hair. Really? I know. So yeah. sorry. You had the opportunity to smash with Dave Grohl and then you were like no sorry your hair is too long I'm out like what 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 yeah I, pro I probably would reevaluate if ever in that situation but okay. um so in Nashville back this was 10 years ago they couldn't fill audiences for country music awards so they had what they called seat fillers okay and you literally were hired to dress in all black and go sit in celebrity seats when they got up, presented, whatever. Oh, and then right. They do that at like the Oscars and stuff too, right? Okay. Yeah. So I did it for like four or five years in a row for were the CMA Awards, the Country Music Association Awards. And basically during the commercial breaks is when you all kind of shuffle, get in your seats, and whoever's about to perform is completely covered by, you know, like a drop down wall. Well, I was sitting it was awesome for this one. And like the second row next to Luke Bryan and uh, Jason Aldean and a bunch of different country artists. Can't talk to him, obviously, but I was like, this is fun. And it was a commercial break. And there was some drummer just wailing on their snare and like drum soloing during the commercial break, completely unaware of the surroundings. It was so like a 
abrasive and like we all were just like who the hell is going wild on the drums right because everybody in country is pretty mellow right well then the curtain goes up or whatever the fake walls and it's uh the the um zach brown band but with dave Grohl as the guest drummer oh that's and cool as soon as the the walls lifted and you saw dave Grohl, you're like and that's the obnoxious drummer that's i mean <laughs> that makes, makes sense, sense right that totally tracks who would be drum soloing during commercial break but dave Grohl? that's great <laughs> with the zach brown band I'll I mean, never he's, forget that he's one. incredible. I was like, oh, okay, that's a fun surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. I, look, I think mm-hmm. the Foo Fighters are awesome. I love all those bands. I uh, I made a playlist recently. So, so there's a radio station in the city called um, it's like ninety two three, and they did it's all alternative rock, and they did uh, the ninety two best uh, alternative rock songs of the nineties, and I disagreed with their countdown. I thought they were totally off base. And so then I spent way too much time building my own list of the 92 best rock songs of the nineties. And then I, I like made that play. I mean, it's, uh, that's like insanity. Remember, I mean, things that we used to call mixtapes right now, it's playlists, right? That word mixtape has gone away because it's playlists now, but it's really the same. And there's no tapes anymore. Right. There's no tapes anymore. (laughs) Uh, they sounded better, but yeah, there's I used no, to burn no CDs too. What that right. was another name? I can't was, remember what we called that one. What burning a CD? When you burned a CD, but it had like all your different songs from different artists, we called those something. CD, but it's I been a while. CDs. I, I, I. Th- that would used to be a thing that you would do, like if you had a crush on someone. Like I made oh, you, yeah. a, I burned Absolutely. you a CD, and you'd like write like something kind of cute on the CD with a sharpie that was totally the move that was like if you did that a hundred percent you're in mm-hmm. that was the move playlists are thankfully so much easier <laughs> playlists are much easier yeah but that you know there's something about the effort involved in it that oh, it, you know it sort of loses uh loses the beauty of it so on well, paying 99 cents per song and I would have to like download it to MP3. Like, oh my god, it was right, right. It was a struggle to do that of work. That's right. It was a real struggle. Did you live in the South? You sound like you drive monster trucks. So, did you? Um, <laughs> I haven't did said you live y'all yet, though. Right, no y'alls. That's good. No, Where are you from? Well, I was born and raised in Phoenix, but for all intents and purposes, I claim Nashville because I spent the very formative years of 19 to 29 there Uh and just loved the community, the culture, the people. I have family there now. So Nashville is basically home to me. That hot chicken, right? That's the move. The hot chicken. hot chicken. Mm -hmm. I like that product. I've I've only been to Nashville a couple of times. I went there for a bachelor party uh <laughs> and about right there nashville's the one where there's like a lake nearby and you go there for a bachelor party and then you rent one of those pontoon boats oh, God, and no, um, it was like really cheesy but we rented one of these pontoon boats and we go out on the lake there's like i don't know 12 of us or something we go out on the lake and you go for like a half hour and then we got to a spot where there were all these other pontoon boat people and there was our boat was two levels. It was like the main mm. level, and then there was a, a sort of um, canopy 
that had a water slide. slide. Yeah, yes. with the slide so you could go into the water. <laughs> and so we got um there was a a boat that was having a bachelorette party and um all these girls jumped off their boat and they swam over to our boat and came on the boat and we were like, "Yeah, you know, we're so cool. Look at this. We got the boat full of these like sort of pretty girls and and um and they all go up and so this was me. It was probably the most like offensive, degrading thing. Uh, and so to be clear, I'm not, I'm not talking about this in a really nice way, but I sort of am, but these girls would go up on the second level of the boat and then, uh, they would go down like the water slide face first. And we did two things Ooh. that I thought were incredibly, well, I mean, there was water on it. Like it was fine. It wasn't, wasn't painful, but, uh, there were two things that I thought were incredible innovations. One of which was, um, two of my friends would dump beers on them while they were going down <laughs> the slide. And then the second was videoing the whole thing in slow-mo. And so um. there's, I have these amazing slow-mo videos, or at some point I had these amazing slow-mo videos of, of these girls going down the water slide. It's, it was really incredibly degrading, uh, and, and shameful, but it was still like that's the defining Nashville experience. I think that's what mm -hmm. Nashville is all about is is the water slides. And if you didn't have a unicorn inflatable, you weren't doing it right. <laughs> I don't know if those existed yet. I'm trying to remember okay. what year this predated, was. I think but... it was like before unicorns and and there was like the whole thing with the flamingos and all that shit. But I think it was maybe a year or two before that. I, I don't remember. Um anyways, that was <laughs> That was that was Nashville. That and and one of the chicken sandwiches, which I think I had to wait in line for like an hour to get from one of the chicken. I don't remember which one I went to, yeah, but had to be Hattie B's. Probably. Um, I waited a long time. It was good. If I recall, I got like two of the spicy but not crazy ones, and then I was like, I'm gonna get one piece of the like, you know, kill yourself kind of spicy. Shut the cluck up is what Yes, that's what it was. Shut the cluck mm -hmm. up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I got one piece. I took a couple bites of it and I was like, all right, I, I get the joke, but you know, I'm not going <laughs> to eat the whole thing. This is not, this is not really tasty. It's just sort of one note. But uh, anyway, so that was, that was Nashville as I remembered. Is there anything more to it besides that? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's the number one healthcare focused like corporate environment in the United States. I mean, right. Two of the largest hospital systems are headquartered there. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt hospital, right? Vanderbilt. Well, is not, like They're not even number one. Um, really? Hospital corporation of America, HCA. Right. right. Those are big companies, but like Vanderbilt yeah. hospital, I've always heard that they're Vanderbilt the hospital medical, yeah. is like the world's best hospital. Like they are the most mm -hmm. state of the art, best hospital in the world and so my sister something's works actually there. wrong with you oh really at vanderbilt hospital yeah. and what she does she say there. does she think it's the best hospital in the world they are so good to her that's yeah. good i mean she, she moved from phoenix to nashville to work for them and now she has four kids and they still give her a ton of flexibility to work one day every other week that's benefits great benefits are amazing yeah she she's had to have been there eight or nine years now she loves vandy so one of the you know, b both my parents died when I was reasonably young. My dad died when oh. I was 19. My mother when I was uh, 33. And okay. uh, um, one of the things I found was that when they were, each of them, when they were sick, 
the medical care was very self-directed and there was not a sort of holistic, like here is someone who's, who's going to be responsible for your care and help uh, oversee it and take care of you. And the, I remember someone at one point was like, I'm going to be your patient advocate. And then they did nothing. They were like totally checked out. But it, it occurred to me like that's a job that makes a ton of sense. It's a mm -hmm. the idea that there's someone who's going to help you when you are, you're probably feeling very nervous, you're overwhelmed, you don't know what's happening. Someone who has enough medical training to understand what the doctors are saying and to help you make decisions. And as I've looked into it a little bit more, it seems like Vanderbilt is really the pioneer in this concept of patient advocacy and creating that as a role in the hospital and in you know, th this idea that there's someone who can like help you and it's not a doctor. It's yeah. not like a social worker. It's a different sort of thing. And, uh, and I love the concept of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, to me, I find that impressive. So we need to ask your sister uh, if she can get us a, a patient advocate. I want to I talk to a Vanderbilt patient advocate and hear what they're doing with that. Happy to. I think she wears that hat a lot. Okay. And I just have to brag on her for five seconds because what she does is amazing. She's in the neonatal ICU with basically babies born with holes in their hearts. So wow. they are born with very low expectancy to survive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let alone what they do, it's like till you're three or four. And so she's got to manage this couple who are devastated. Right. And have no idea. There's so much uncertainty. So though she's that's not something much, you know before the kid is born, right? That's something that you can to an extent, but uh -huh. yeah, you you don't know what's going to go on. You don't know how the open heart surgery is going to go. There's a ton of like this is a high risk situation, mm -hmm. and so my sister is their moral support, and she's there to help them navigate this. And I think she does more like just emotional management and um, really like couples therapy <laughs> I'm, i mean i'm sure it's needed right and like child care yeah that's that shit is hard and it yeah. must be so devastating to go through that and find out that your your kid is born goofy is like mm -hmm. i mean terrible terrible look i i oh, have yeah she goes to funerals she like i mean she, it's impressive that this this girl is not just like make sure this kid is healthy she's like I'm taking care of this family as if they are my own. It's impressive. I, I think, yeah, look, I, you know, side note, I'd love to talk to her because I'm so fascinated yeah. by this concept. And uh, especially because she happens to work at Vanderbilt and I've always heard such amazing things about, about them and their, their hospital system. So uh, mm. I think that's, that's very cool. Has has Nashville handled COVID better than other places? It's it's not they're not like full retarded like people are in New York and and California, right? Mm -hmm. But is it is it or like Florida? Florida like right, but is end. it Florida level? Have in my mind, like I think Florida has handled this very well, but. Yeah. But I, I don't know, like what? Where does Nashville? Where does where does Tennessee sit on that spectrum? It depends on which part of Tennessee, because in some 
parts like on Broadway right now where the bachelorette parties are happening, COVID does not exist. And it feels like. Right. You know, the it's like the good old days. Yeah. Which they're, still, I they're still the water slides. Right. Yes. At, but then there's other areas where because everybody's healthcare focused, they are respectful. But it's still, I think, a <laughs> just reasonable reaction to the fact that like COVID's kind of here <laughs> and it's not just going to go away based on locking ourselves in our houses. And so right. they have a reasonable like we got to stay open. If you're going to work out at the gym, you're not going to wear a mask. You know, they're just like, you know, kind of think for yourself and do what you do or don't feel comfortable doing. And if you're sick, just stay home. I feel like that's an easy answer to all of this. Sure. I think that makes sense. Yeah, look, I mean, there's been lots of crazy shit. I've talked about it a ton on uh, on the show about about the the nonsense and about um, you know how how poorly this has been handled in yeah. many states in New York. Uh, I've done long rants about epidemiologists and how that's the dumbest job. Epidemiologist is somewhere uh, between like paleontologist and school administrator in the list of really <laughs> stupid, useless jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's just shocking how, how much these people have, have made a mess over the past couple of years. So, um, do you, are you a yoga person? I am not mainly cause I'm impatient. Um, I, I would I like to be. ask, would you, <laughs> I, isn't yoga, what is, what is yoga? Yoga is just like fat people trying to do more farts. Like they're always trying to get into positions <laughs> to do farts right yeah, other people's like, faces yeah, yeah that's it's it's like i I never understood why it's exercise really or like what exactly it is but um i think it's I have just a, physical uh, meditation that's yeah all right meditation. i have a very dear friend who is um who who runs a yoga studio in nashville that's really awesome oh, really? called fahrenheit yoga and so mm-hmm. If you are in Nashville, um, I strongly recommend you go there and fart in the studio. Uh, that's that's the place to do it. So um, they're they're cool. I think all the other yoga studios, Fahrenheit. yeah, Fahrenheit Yoga, all the other yoga studios in Nashville went out of business because of COVID. And Fahrenheit mm-hmm. was it, Fahrenheit is to yoga in Nashville as like I guess. Uh, Bubba Gump shrimp was to shrimping. You remember that? Like there's that huge storm and all the other shrimp boats get annihilated. But Lieutenant Dan is up on the mast of the boat and he's screaming and then they survive the whole thing. And then they have as much shrimp as they want and they use the money and they buy Apple computer stock. And it's like a huge success. That is that is that is Fahrenheit yoga. Like everyone else went out of business and they're still standing. So uh, if you go to um, if you go to Nashville, Fahrenheit Yoga is the move. Uh, if if you're into breaking wind in a small room in a publicly, room. yeah, I I I am into doing that. I don't. It's not in a yoga context. I just like doing that, especially in elevators. It's like a power move oh, to just God. like fart on people in an elevator. Um, so, so back so, on the COVID topic, though. Yeah, I'm back on COVID. Yeah, I don't know how we got onto the, the farts, but yeah, back to uh, COVID. Yeah, you're good. No, I was just dying laughing and somewhat amused that, was it Monday? It was announced that everyone in the U.S. can get, I think it's four or five free at-home COVID tests by UPS. Right. <laughs> or USPS. Right. And I was like, whose idea was that? Which we, one, know. 
But like, could you only make the supply chain worse? You mean because it's going to stretch the postal service or what do you, what yeah, do you? Because the, well, now USPS is obligated to give everybody in the world <laughs> or in the US, I should say, five COVID tests like ASAP. Everybody's lost their patience. And I'm just like, they're already not performing. <laughs> Why now are we taxing that? Plus, then you have the element that they, after you test, you have to send the test back in through the mail. Oh, really? It's not, a, it's not like just the spit on it and kind? Some of them are, but some of them you, you send it in or you dispose of it through the mail too. And so I literally got an email from my apartment building the other day that was like, do not send your at-home COVID tests to through the mail. Like, Take it to UPS physically because we don't want your... We don't want your COVID sticks. germs, right? Yeah, on our concierge. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. Like, I see a massive way to just spread more COVID and a massive way to make sure I don't get the toiletries I actually need. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> people I, are that, worried about at-home COVID tests that I'm never going to take. That's that's wild. I, um, I've done these at-home COVID tests. I convinced oh, uh, I mean. my sister-in-law that... Um, she could just put a regular Q-tip in her nose, and as long as she was on FaceTime, that Apple had a new feature where she could um, she could just put a Q-tip in her nose. Oh god! As long as she was on FaceTime, and if she had COVID, she would just hold the Q-tip up to it, and if she had COVID, the screen would turn red. And so, um, I have this amazing photo <laughs> of her like going like this and like trying to Q-tip her own nose, and then like staring at the FaceTime. That's that's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, they I ordered some of the tests. Uh, she turned 35 uh, yesterday. Um, okay. And yeah, uh, so so I I ordered some of the at-home COVID tests, but I had it. I had it like a month ago uh, and and got over it. I mean, it was it was fine. It was like it happened right before winter break. And but then I just stayed at home for a while. But I was fine i mean i i was like kind of dramatic about it i because i like being dramatic about everything and so i was a little bit dramatic about it but but it was nothing it was a cold we've we've rebranded the common cold and been like it's it's omicron but like i don't know whatever it's stupid um anyways i don't did you have it or are you i did but got a year ago now oh you had you had like real covid you didn't have baby covid lose the taste and smell yeah but you, I, I, every cold no I've deal. had in my life, I've lost my taste and smell. I always lose my really? taste. And oh, every single time I've gotten a cold in my whole life, I've lost my sense of taste and smell for at least a week afterward. I mean, it comes back, but you lose it for like a week. I sort of, I always find it's, it's very weird that I, I sort of lose my appetite. Like if you can't smell and taste, then you have less of an appetite, but that's always happened to me. And so then they're like, I got COVID and I lost my taste and smell. I'm like, okay, sure. Like that, that happens. That's just, that's every cold ever, but maybe I'm weird. Maybe that's not a, a typical yeah, thing. It was a first know. for me for sure, but I appreciated the chance to diet for a week. <laughs> I was like, cool, right. I'm going to eat chicken breast and vegetables and I'll be, because it was the beginning of the year last year. It's like, I'm going to be really clean for a week and then, and then what life happened? goes on. And then you, uh, and then you were just like, "Give me the cheese doodles. I need them." <laughs> no, but lots of meat. That's why it's funny when you were saying, um, "Is that bad though? What's wrong with what's wrong with eating a lot of meat? Is that?" Oh, I like, love meat, but it was funny that 
so you know i experiment with the new york dating dating scene which i more often regret than enjoy and i i went on this date with a guy who assumed i was vegan and i'm like what about me being an obstacle course racer and a drummer screamed vegan to you yeah i guess but but also i can meet him i sort of i sort of uh, associate in my mind like people who do obscure exercise concepts are also mm-hmm. like they're Extremist. also the people who want to tell you that they're a vegan right vegan yeah, people maybe. always want to tell you that they're a vegan and they want to tell oh, you about probably. how it's so healthy and there's 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 uh someone who listens to the show and who's a vegan and is always trying to convince me to become a vegan and it's not and and, and then it's like yeah it's so healthy and it's amazing and it, it's like it's going to do wonders for your body. And then I'm like, I don't know. I'm not eating all fucking cashew butter every day. Like, just give me a break. It ain't happening. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're not a vegan. Um, but you, so if you go not on a date a with a guy, right. If you go on a date with a guy and he assumes you're a vegan, do you just walk out? Cause you're so insulted by it. Next time I will. This one caught me off guard. And so I ate the most terrible French fries with fake crap on it. Wait, he didn't took you to a vegan it. restaurant. Oh, this is how it all came up. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't realize it was because I was just like, I'm following GPS. La la la. So we sit down, I look at the menu, and I was like, oh crap. Wow. That's yeah. vile, huh? It was awful. So I think I ate a third of the French fries, and he could tell I was like miserable and couldn't wait for it to be over. Sheesh. And then I side hugged him as I got into my car. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that's the end of that one, huh? No, no more. Yeah. He followed up too. I was shocked. I was like, okay. I guess he didn't so take like, the sorry, hint, buddy. right? He did yeah. not. I was like, sorry, buddy. I eat so much meat. It's not even funny. This is this it's is not. not this is not meant to be, huh? No. That, um, I I think the next time something like that happens, you have to be way more dramatic. Like, just take your water glass, splash <laughs> it in his face, storm out of there. <laughs> block him immediately like if you're gonna do it really go for it um mm-hmm. and oh i can and make sure someone videos you publicly. make sure you get a good instagram story out of the whole thing mm-hmm. if you're gonna do it i like that i think that would be fun is that the worst mm-hmm. date you've ever been on oh god no <laughs> what's the what's the worst date you've ever been on oh man i gotta think about that one or one of the worst dates you've ever been on yeah. Uh there well there's plenty. But anytime there's a situation where they spend the whole date bragging about how well they're doing and then they want to split the check. <laughs> That's a bad I can one, guarantee huh? you they'll never see me again. Oh yeah. Right. It's just like, okay, well, thanks for bragging the whole time to then show you're not a generous person. <laughs> right. Yeesh. Okay. Like, okay, cool. That's I'll interesting. Pass, buddy. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm very politically flexible. Uh, I think I think both candidates were horrendous. To be uh, to be frank, uh, I think Biden like has the past done four elections. Yeah, the, for for, the for a long time, horrendous. horrendous. Um, I think Biden has done a good job for in some ways, but in other ways, he's done a terrible job. I mean, the most important thing, and the most important thing I think Biden has done, and I've talked about this quite a bit on the show, is is that he got us out of Afghanistan uh, and that he disobeyed the wishes of 
the military industry, which very badly wanted us to stay at war. And you can see very clearly, you know, he pulled us out of Afghanistan. And then as soon as we're out and it's clear we're not going back anytime soon, there's this push like we have to go to war somewhere else. We got to go to war to protect Ukraine. And we got to, I mean, it's just always there's a, there's another place that we have to go to war seemingly. And, and first of all, I don't know why anyone gives a shit about the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Like, who, why is that suddenly a thing that people care about for a minute that nobody, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's like nobody who can even pick out fucking Ukraine on a map. And, and so I don't understand why there is this, like, we got to go to war over Ukraine. And it's, it just, I mean, let Ukraine go to war over Ukraine. Let, let Europe do it. I don't know if, if it's such a big problems. deal. It's, yeah, it's just, it's not, it, it's, I, I don't, this isn't, by the way, this isn't meant to be like my, my Chamath moment where I'm sitting here ranting, like no, you know, remember, I don't know if you listened to the all in podcast, but the last episode, uh, uh, Chamath, who's, who's a, a very well-known investor from, uh, from, from California. He went on this weird rant about like, who cares about the Uyghurs? He was like, I don't care about the Uyghurs. And and I don't care if they're in concentration camps. And and th- to be clear, this is not my Chamath moment. But I also don't understand. I mean, I do understand. I do understand why there is this this push and it's being dramatized. Uh, it's because the military industry in this country wants us to be at war all of the time. They, if you're a general in in the army you have a lot more clout and a lot more influence and a lot more power if you've got 100,000 soldiers under your command than if you have 20,000 soldiers under your command. And so they want us to be at war. And and the companies that make all of the equipment that we use, they want us to be at war. It's it's pretty obvious. I mean, look, even mm-hmm. Dwight Eisenhower talked about it. He called it the military-industrial complex. I uh, I tend to simplify, just call it the military industry. But it's big and it's powerful and and they're making a push. I personally do not think that we are I don't think that Putin is about to invade Ukraine. I I think roughly he would need about 200,000 soldiers to do that and to hold any territory. He's got 100,000 at the border right now, which is threatening, but it's not enough for an invasion and so I don't happen to think that is imminent. Uh, But I don't know. We'll see. You know, Biden gave this speech a few days ago where he was like, if Russia, you know, plays just the tip, maybe we're not gonna go full war. And people are like, oh my God, how can you say, I mean, just, but who, who gives a shit? Why, why is it our job to protect the, the territorial integrity of Ukraine? I just, it was, it was like for when when we pulled out of Afghanistan, nobody had said a word about Afghanistan for ten years, literally not a peep. And then suddenly they're pulling out, and the press went howling mad about Afghanistan for two weeks, and everyone had an opinion about Afghanistan. We should be at war, and it's like, well, I don't know why. And and then as soon as the withdrawal was complete, it's kind of remarkable no one says a word about Afghanistan. It's not in the press at all because nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit. This was, this was the military uh, uh, industry trying to plant the story to keep us at war. And they're doing it again with Ukraine and it, and it 
drives me nuts. So um, anyway, I think we my, have our own problems to solve. I mean, I, I, I think there's both of those things, right? Like there's the, we have our own problems to solve. I think that that's a very legitimate perspective on it, but there's also, I think a little bit of what is, I'm not opposed to intervention around the world. Like if there's something horrible happening, I'm not opposed to sometimes saying we have like a moral obligation to go do something about it. It's not always, and it's very tricky because you may do it one time and then there's something of comparable evil happening a year later and you don't do it then. And it's like, well, how did that calculus work? It's very tricky, but I'm not opposed to occasional intervention. I am opposed to the way we have done it, right? I mean, we we invaded Iraq for no reason at all. We invaded Afghanistan seemingly for no reason. I mean, we've just, it, it, it's, it's, it's sort of insane to me. Uh, you know, I, I perceive the, um, the drumbeat of war against China building. It's not, it's not strong enough yet. Um, and that's the scary one, right? Cause that's, yeah. that's like a full <laughs> out, that's a full out war. Um, that's not, that's not Ukraine. That's, that's a big country with lots and lots of soldiers and yeah, they don't spend as much on the military as we do, but like, it's that's a scary us. one. Yeah, it's it's a scary one. So <laughs> they so, hate us so more than I, anybody else, right? So I I think about that one. I worry about that one. Uh, that's that's always a um, that's always a possibility. Meatloaf passed away what? yesterday. Meatloaf died last I night. I missed this one. Meatloaf died last night. Are you a Meatloaf Aww. fan? Eh, I mean. I appreciate what he did for for music, but I wouldn't say I'd know his songs word for word. <laughs> um I seventy four. Wow, how did I miss this yeah, one? He was seventy four years old. So um all right, so a couple of meatloaf stories. Um in nineteen ninety-three he came out with I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You probably know that one. Like once you hear it, you can't stop singing it. Yes. And um I was with my father at a neighborhood Japanese restaurant and sitting a couple tables over from us was meatloaf. And my dad took a photo of me out of his wallet that he carried around. You know, how, like parents sometimes carry those little pictures of their kids. My dad took a photo of me out of his wallet and he gave me a ballpoint pen and I walked over to meatloaf and I said, can I have your autograph on the back of the photo? And so he, he autographed a, a picture of me. And then my dad always carried Meatloaf's signature in his wallet on a on a photo of That's me. That's cool. And then shortly after that, uh, we were in Atlanta. My sister was in college in Atlanta, and we went down there. And um, and that song every time it came on the radio, which was like a, a good amount, not the full eleven minute version, but like the the radio edit. Every time it came on, we would just be in the car belting out, you know. And I would do anything for love. Uh, so anyway, so that's that's story number two. Story number three about Meatloaf is he was in Fight Club. He played a character in Fight Club called Bitch Tits. And yes. um, he performed, Meatloaf performed. He did a concert at the Beacon Theater 
in, I want to say December of 98 or December of 99. I don't remember which one. And uh, I went to the concert with my parents and I had just seen Fight Club. And there was this moment in the concert where it, it just got, it was like in between songs and it was totally quiet in the audit, in, in, in the, the, the auditorium for, uh, in the theater for a minute. And I screamed at the top of my lungs, bitch tits. Oh no. And immediately my dad sort of put his hand on my shoulder with this look of like, okay, quiet, weird son, like just pipe down there. And I, I just, I immediately, as, as it was coming out of my mouth, I knew this is not cool. This is awkward <laughs> and this is not cool. And the shame that I felt at that Ooh. moment being like the Tourette's guy at the meatloaf concert was so palpable. I have not forgotten how ashamed, oh. how ashamed I felt at that moment. Right after that, by the way, he That's did cool. his song Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. And, you know, of course, the song is about like high school students trying to like hook up with each other and they get to first base and second base and go on and on. And um, he called up two people from the audience. He acted like they were total strangers. Like, let me pick you and you. I don't know if they were strangers or if it was rehearsed. Who knows? But he he called up a, a man and a woman and they came up on stage and um, she got on top of him and they were like fooling around on stage to wow. the music during okay. the concert. And I remember thinking like, holy cow, that is really, that is something right there. That, that, that's that's an episode of Euphoria right there. Um, <laughs> anyways, so so R.I.P. Meatloaf. Uh, I hope that that he is with Bob Saget right now and yes. uh, and Betty White. Uh, I hope they are having a glorious threesome in uh, in heaven right now. Um, you know, right? Like yes. a, a Betty White sandwich. That's what they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, That's great. All right. Uh, anything else that you wanted to cover before we wrap? Well, I just sent you an article. Oh, of, cool. Let me look. Of Meatloaf actually singing with Mitt Romney. Well, that's a fun one. Have you one. seen this? Uh, I have not seen it. Um, but uh, that's, John Rich that's is fun. in it and the, the guy from Alabama. Um, it Like literally the first CNN article about his death, he has got this duet with Mitt Romney. So um, That's a fun one. I mean, that's entertaining. Meatloaf was like pretty. He was like a, a a big Republican guy, right? Like that was his his shtick was he was pretty based and red pilled and and like I'm an old white guy, so I'm gonna vote Republican. Was that his was that his his deal? I actually, I actually don't know much, but based on your concert experience, I think it's funny that he was like best friends with a Mormon. <laughs> right, right. That's a very so good point. I don't. I don't think this I is know a great old track. So uh, I'll definitely yeah. listen to that. That's it. I, I think later. of Meatloaf as one of those great classic rock stars. He's up there with like Ozzy Osbourne and and yeah. some of the other legends of the seventies. And, and uh, so R.I.P. Meatloaf. Um, all right. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's My been pleasure. a pleasure having you. Uh, why don't you let our um, let our listeners know where they can find you? Where are you on social media? Where's your podcast? Uh, tell everyone about it. Yeah. So my show is the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Primarily lives on YouTube and LinkedIn, but you can find me on my website. It's RebeccaPanapinto.com. 
can share that link with you, Lee. And then the socials, it's all just first name, last name as well. What you will notice, though, and you'll appreciate this, uh, Lee, Rebecca is spelled the Jewish way, R-E-B-E-K-A-H. I, okay, so, so on that topic, my cousin's wife is named Rebecca, and it's Mm -hmm. spelled the same way as you spell it. She, my cousin and and his wife came to visit me uh, like five years ago or six years ago for a a long weekend during the summer. And um, we were on Long Island. And uh, when they arrived, his wife was like, can we quickly stop at Starbucks? And so she runs into Starbucks and she's, she grew up in LA, but she's got like a thick sort of California accent, I guess. I mean, it's, Okay. It's thick enough that it's like actually hard to understand sometimes. So she she goes into the Starbucks and she orders her drink. And then the woman is like, what's your name? And she says, Rebecca. And the woman is like, can you spell it? And she spells it R-E-B-E-K-A-H. And the woman's like, wow, I've never heard that name. That's so unique. What a weird name. And so my my cousin's wife comes back out to the car and she's like, yeah, let me tell you the story about, you know, the woman is like, I've never heard the name Rebecca. And she's thinking to herself, how could you never... Like, what are you talking about? You've never heard the name Rebecca. It's like the most common name. What do you, what do you, how do you mean you've never, and she goes, and by the way, how weird is it? She says that she's never heard my name. Her name is Barista. I've never heard that name. And I'm thinking, oh my fucking God. Like what, what? They were not communicating well. That was incredible. Her name is Barista. I love that. So, um, (laughs) all right. So, so I should call you Barista. Um, all right, so Before I will it. I will include links to all your socials in uh, in the show notes, and um, you know you, you you should definitely go listen to Rebecca's show. It's uh, it's serious, it's thoughtful. She interviews uh, business leaders and um, and and leading lights in the tech industry. So uh, strongly recommend it. And Rebecca, thank you again for being here. My pleasure. All right. Thank you for joining me today. Remember that I write and I record my podcast to share a point of view that you will not find elsewhere in the media, but I depend on your support to do it. So please, leebrestler.substack.com slash subscribe, sign up. If you enjoyed this, share it with your friends, with your colleagues. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, and I'll be back with more soon.